Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us. As we explore the mysteries of Scripture. The realm of God. And freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings. And slither in place. Because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Our show today finds us discussing two brothers from the Old Testament with a high calling and an untimely demise. We feel like this warrants looking into as we examine their story and see what we can learn from their lives. If you hadn't guessed it already, you've landed smack dab into the middle of a fresh snakebird profile. So Stephen, as is our custom, I have to ask, who are we profiling today? Well, today, guys, our profile is Nadab and Abihu. (laughs) Nice. And there's not a lot of page time that these two get, but man, this study's going to rabbit trail all over the place. It is, yeah. It's going to be wild. Yeah, there's not a ton, but golly, it goes a lot of places. It sure does. And I think, honestly, to just start the thing off, we should probably just set up some, some... Far back context. What do you think, Josh? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, they're priests of Israel, they're sons of Aaron, they're pastor's kids. And we know for that starting with their dad, their whole family line would be called to an extremely important and delicate ministry. And that is mediating between God and his people. Yeah. And the first thing I can tell you about Aaron is if you own a Bible dictionary, he's going to be the first topic of discussion because his name starts with two A's. It's A-A-Ron. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, now, I really wanted to lay that out for those who plan to do on their, their own little study there. So Yeah. <laughs> well, man, I, I was noticing that uh, for them, they're first mentioned in Exodus chapter 6, mm-hmm. in a time when this brand new nation is being established, uh, primarily the worship of God and how they're going to live and interact in his presence. And then as they go into the wilderness, then it gets real because uh, if we were to put ourselves in their shoes, there's a lot going on. It's a new nation. A lot of new freedoms, especially coming out of Egypt, new instructions for worship, new appointments as priests, a new and closer relationship with God. And um, I think we need to start with understanding what a priest is. Yes, very true. Um, And this is where it gets really interesting for me because the relationship from what I saw between Nadab and Abihu to Aaron, Abihu, I don't know how I'm going to keep saying that, (laughs) but um, to Aaron is directly tied to our relationship to Jesus currently. Um, Nadab and Abihu are the very first versions of us as Christians in relation to the body of Christ when looking back at typology in Scripture. And as Josh just said, this is all very new to them in that timeline because this is this has not come about yet, the law and all that stuff. But directly under the high priest was the priest. The high priest had a closer connection to God and the priests were a lower mediator between the people in that point. And we learn in the New Testament that Jesus, not man, is now the high priest, serving in that role. And 1 Peter 2.9 says that we as believers are now priests. So we start to see this structure form from then to now, and we are now the representatives to the world who brings them to the high priest, who in turn brings them to God. Wow. So this whole relationship between priest, high priest, and God, God was setting it up way back then as, um, uh, as a tutor. And so before jumping into the profile itself, let's, let's look at the role of what priest is now, since that's us now. Uh, the truth of the matter is, when I first started getting into this, Josh, the typology of priesthood and scripture, I almost spent more time researching it than I did Nadab and Abihu. Right. Because, I mean, it goes so deep. God so strategically and so much foresight and wisdom, he designed the role of priest from the get-go to grow into what we now call a Christian. 
Uh, and I think people often look at the word priest and think of archaic superstition, but the role of priest is very current. It might not be what people think it is. It might not mean what they think it means, but it's a very important part of God's plan. So, that being said, this thing that Nadab and Abihu were, priests, was a role that set them apart not for recognition, but to minister sacred things and to represent God to the people and people to God. Priests were kind of a two-tier level of mediator between God and the people. The high priest was the top-level mediator, like I said before, between God and the people. And the high priest was the only one allowed to enter the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifice for all of God's people once a year. Now, the thing I would like to bring up at this point is that the role of the tabernacle and priest slash high priest are a direct reflection of what's going on in heaven. And that is a fascinating topic. These systems of worship were instituted by God to teach us spiritual things. That's why Paul called it the tutor, the mm-hmm. law. Yeah. And in other words, these symbolic things represent, um, in other words, what these symbolic things represent are a shadow of reality on the other side of the veil. And so that that's a whole other rabbit hole, but it's fascinating. Like and a reflection of heaven. Right? Exactly, yeah. it is. And, and when you look, you know, if you even get your Bible out with a map and it shows the tabernacle and how it was set up, there's a lot of symbology of what as, is actually going on in heaven. It's fascinating. Yeah. But uh, we see this laid out, this whole concept laid out for us all through the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 10.1, it says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near also in hebrews 8 1 and 2 says now the main point in what has been said is this we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary, and now in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. So we see that the literal tabernacle from the Old Testament was like an elementary school teaching to prepare us for college-level spiritual things. Mm. Very fascinating. And here's where we can start connecting the dots to this in relation to the very first model, which would be Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. Hebrews 9.11, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. So again, Jesus has taken top-level roles, high priest for all of humanity, through the more perfect tabernacle in heaven. And then just seven verses up from this, in verse 18, the author of Hebrews makes a statement that takes us all the way back to a literal scene in Exodus 24, where Nadab, Abihu, and Aaron, and Moses meet the pre-incarnate form of the Messiah to come, who will serve as the final high priest for humanity. And so I know that this is an episode, it's a profile, but we had to mention this whole concept of the first high priest. And we'll probably mention that whole thing again a little bit later (laughs) when when they meet, when they meet him. But that, yeah, that's that's the whole concept of priest, high priest, and what, what it is now. Yeah, I wonder, wow. As you were talking about that, I started to think of how indignant Jesus must have been towards like Caiaphas or Annas as the high priest and, and Annas being the godfather and being able to appoint his uh, his sons as high priest. How just, I guess, like a sick feeling in, or bad taste in his mouth that Jesus might have had of going, I set up this picture 
yeah. of what it's supposed to be like in heaven, and yet here you are making a mockery of it and exactly. making money off of it. Yeah, yeah, that's so, a good point. I hadn't even, I've never thought of that before. That's a good point. What was going on in Jesus says, you don't, you don't know how I set this up. <laughs> yeah. This is being done wrong. <laughs> yes, and it, to, to be that picture. So, yeah. yeah. And not to mention, step aside, because here I am. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Well, and uh, I love the, it's the turn of phrase, but the New Testament is uh, revealed where the Old Testament, like it's the Old Testament concealed through the New Testament revealed, yeah, or yeah. the the uh, Old Testament is the the picture of it, but the New Testament is the principle of it. So Yes. So yeah. true. God designed it all that way. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Cool. So with Nadab and Abihu, uh, I have kind of a context for their story. It's it's maybe a little bit more than it should be, but since their story is so short, I thought giving a little bit more meat on the bones would actually be a good idea for them. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. So let's start all the way back uh, when God created the heavens. And the earth. <laughs> so, oh, wow. We're going that far. Genesis back. 1 would. No. <laughs> no, we'll start more at the beginning of Exodus. Um, so, of course, um, remember Jacob had gone with Joseph to Egypt and um, Jacob passed there and all of a sudden now the children of Israel are living in Goshen Mm -hmm. and they're doing well. But 400 years passed and the nation of Israel were incubated in the nation of Egypt and that wasn't a bad thing because it saved them from the famine and it turns out that they went from 70 people to now close to 2 million. Yeah, they became numerous. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and a new pharaoh arose. The Bible says a new pharaoh arose who didn't really know them. And, and it got ugly yeah. because in fears that the children of Israel would actually go stronger than the nation of Egypt and overtake them, they enslaved them and started putting to death the male children, mm-hmm. you know, throwing them into the river. It was terrible. And so deliver us was the cry that rose to heaven out of the children of Israel. And God raised up from the tribe of Levi, a man named Moses, who through incredible providence was a prince of Egypt. Uh, Paired alongside his brother Aaron, they delivered God's message to Pharaoh after, of course, burning bush, 40 years of wilderness period, and Moses basically being trained by God, preparing him for this role. Um, And they went to Pharaoh insisting that he let God's people go. And he just, he refused um, because they wanted to strike out and, and, and find their own land. They didn't even want to stay where Egypt was. But Pharaoh said no, and much to the detriment of his own nation, they endured 10 plagues, each one worse than the one before, culminating in the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. In fact, it was the death of the firstborn of anyone who wasn't covered by the blood in the first Passover, a future reference of Jesus's blood and our faith in him. And so their firstborn died. And that event led to Pharaoh finally releasing them only to renege on his promise and send his entire army storming after them. But God faithfully saved his people as they crossed the Red Sea on dry land and then drowned the Egyptian army that brazenly followed them into the restrained walls of water. What transpired next was days and miles of faith, complaining and everything in between. The new situation was refreshing, but also got off to somewhat of a rocky start. What are we going to (laughs) eat? Where are we going to get something to drink? 
how are we going to care for two million plus people? Yeah. Uh, God delivering his directions to live by and subsequently the children of Israel blatantly ignoring those things and thinking, you know, Moses was dead during that time that he was on the mountain receiving these directives. And yeah. so, I mean, so much happened leading up to this point of uh, meeting Nadab and Abihu. Yeah, and I think it's important that you laid it out because, like you said, this this is all... Sometimes we read the Bible and we think that they always had the law. This has not come about yet. No. Like, this is so new, it's not even funny. Yes. This is like a, a parent that just had a baby, and they're figuring out how to feed it, how to... All this stuff. God, God of course, has this all laid out, but um, they're very new to the people. Yeah, I mean, they had a ton to navigate and a mm. lot to learn, and yes. I mean, it was... And even then... A lot of them in this time of wilderness and in this time of like the newness of being free from Egypt, a lot of them were going, we had a good life there. Let's go back. Yeah. And well, God, and you think of 400 years. Yeah. Some of them never remembered those those good years before they were slaves. Oh, no. So that was just, that was just life. Yeah. Even the, the passing down of the tradition of what it was like. And yeah. they're like, no, we, we, we can make bricks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. And then when Moses came along, he, then they had to go get their own straw and all that. Yeah, and they're yeah. like, you've made this worse for us. Yeah. And I mean, what do they keep saying? Like, that's the land of leeks and melons or whatever. Yeah. You know? And it's yeah. like, no, dude. God's got so much more. He wants to give you milk and honey, not, you know. Yeah. So they go, they follow on this adventure with Moses led by God. And at first I imagine it was pretty exciting, but then they get to a point where like, we're, we're going to die in the wilderness out here. Yeah. And so they're at a point of what's next. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Nadab and Abihu are with them for all of this. Yes. And they're looking to dad, Aaron and uncle Moses. And, yeah. you know, they probably kind of have an inside track to all the leadership stuff. And we find out that uh, specifically as we move to like Exodus 24, that they're considered part of the leadership of the nation of Israel. Yeah. But a lot of it's kind of just standing back and watching what God's going to do, because now they've already come to this place where the water is too bitter to drink. They threw in the wood. They yeah. called it Mara at first, but the water was made sweet by throwing this wood into the water. And so they were able to drink. And then they came to another place where uh, eventually God says, um, strike the rock. Yes. You know, yeah. and uh, they also come to this point where there's no food. Yeah. And uh, what happens is, um, you know, they start seeing what is it falling from heaven? <laughs> Mana. Mana. <laughs> and just to elaborate on a little more context there, Aaron is the um, brother of Moses. Yes. Who was who was allowed by God to be his mouthpiece because Moses had the stuttering problem. So when you say that they were already recognized, uh, Nadab and Abihu, as the leadership, that they were, that's because Aaron from the get-go was Moses' mouthpiece. So they were watching Dad do this for Moses, and they were probably always recognized, like you said, like PKs, preacher kids, (laughs) right there along the you know the whole road they were right there under the two mouthpieces yeah so that's that's why they would have been recognized in the leadership and the um the first mention of them is is it not in exodus six twenty three, josh yes that's the is. first pl- place that i saw them. yeah and we don't we don't know when we, they were born no nope. do we no we don't okay so we don't know if they were born um coming out of egypt already or if they mm-hmm. were born in egypt um during this whole time and Basically, they were shielded from being, uh, of course, destroyed like the Egyptians were wanting. Yeah, gotcha. So, yeah, we see them for the first time in, in Exodus six twenty three, and we're told that they're the first two sons, um, Nadab and Abihu, of Aaron and Elisheba. 
Elisheba? Is that her name? <laughs> I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Okay. And the uh, the other two kids are Eleazar and Ithamar, but there's yes. four boys. Yeah. And they're the first two. And as we see this story unfold, we'll see that Eleazar and Ithamar end up succeeding Nadab and Abihu as priests. Um, little spoiler, sorry. But um, Eleazar ends up succeeding Aaron as high priest. And from what I can tell, Eleazar had a lot to observe in the realms of what not to do as he observed his, his father and his brothers throughout this story we're fixing mm-hmm. to get into. Yeah. I think it served him well, but we'll, we'll get to that whenever it comes up. Um, but back to Nahab and a Nahab. I keep saying Nahab. <laughs> Nadab and Abihu. Um, the next place we see him after that, there's not much said about him in, in Exodus six, but uh, Exodus twenty four. Yes, is, is that not where they show up again, Josh? Yeah, yeah. And that is a fascinating story. It is. Yeah, because God is calling the people near, and He's about to give them the Ten Commandments. And he says, hey, listen, anyone that wants to come here, but they're all freaked out. Yeah. And so he's calling people up higher. And there's a there's a really neat spiritual application to that of saying, hey, if you want to go higher, just keep going up with the answer, the call. Yeah. But God calls up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel. Yeah, and in verse 1, uh, we see that God's about to ratify a covenant that had been promised ages before to Abraham. So all these years later, God has all of his people gathered before Mount Sinai to start what we now know as the Mosaic Covenant. Now, what God instructs is that Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, along with 70 elders, are to come to a point to worship God just from a distance, but only Moses was to come near to God in order to get the official covenant. So Moses and the priests and the elders do exactly that. Moses goes directly to God as the priests and elders stay a little bit behind. And after Moses comes back from his time with God, he gathers all the people together and tells them the terms of this covenant. And all the people in one accord verbally agree to this covenant, at which point Moses goes and writes down everything that was just agreed to in a binding document. The Bible calls it a book. The book of the covenant. Yeah, nice. So it'd be like the very first Bible, obviously minus the Pauline letters and whatnot. (laughs) But the next morning, um, Moses gets up early to build an altar at the foot of the mountain and also 12 pillars to represent the 12 tribes to come. And some young men brought young bulls for sacrifice. Half the blood was put into basins. The other half was sprinkled on the altar. And after this, Moses reads out loud the covenant he had written down again to the people. And they all verbally accepted these terms again. And then the deal was sealed by the sprinkling of that leftover blood directly on all those people. Wow. Yeah. And then it, what happens next is, is mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've read this portion of scripture several times over, and yet somehow I've missed it. To, to the significance of it. And I've started lovingly calling it tea time with Jesus nice. because I mean, that's, appropriate. Yeah, that's the only way I could explain it because now Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel, it says in verse 10, they saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet as it was a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. That's amazing. Yeah. That's what we call, or theologians will call a Christophany. Yes. 
We, and I, th- I think that's what that is. I think so too. I, I read another commentator who said they didn't, they didn't believe that. They thought it was maybe they saw the throne of God, okay. and it wasn't necessarily Christophany. But I, I agree with that wholeheartedly that it was. I think it was. Yeah. It's, but it's just wild that they, they go through all this ceremony and then. They're there with God. Yeah, it was like, well, we just shook hands on this, so let's just eat and drink over it, and you know, yeah. let's talk about our deal that we just made. So I, I, this is just this is an amazing scene that was just laid out, and I, I know I want to go back real quick and extract some points of interest. Sure. In in the structure of the event, that's the number one thing that I noticed was the structure of it. But real quick. I don't want to pass over the archaeological evidence of this event. Okay. So just real quick, for Exodus 24, I have to mention this because, I mean, there's evidence supporting the altar that was built and the um, the 12 pillars that were set up. So the, the location of Mount Sinai is a debated topic, but I'm a 100% believer that it's at Jabel El Laws, where the evidence is just breathtaking. But um, it's at this site, a certain Larry Williams discovered what appears to be this altar that Moses actually constructed here for those bulls. And he writes, each wing of this angular form is approximately 65 feet long and about 30 feet wide with a dirt or rock mound that is spaced equidistant from the edges inside the form, which also makes an arrow or V-shape appearance. There are no steps going up to this altar site. The stones are uncut, which we know is something God instructed. Mm. Also... For the 12 pillars, a certain David Fasold did a molecular survey of the area at Jabal Allah's when accompanying Ron Wyatt and the Saudi authorities, and that survey revealed, and he writes, Closer to the wadi, the molecular survey uncovered a line of 12 circles of stone with an outside diameter of 18 feet, consisting of three rows of stone in thickness. The 12 were spaced 5 feet apart from one another in a straight line, bearing 193 degrees magnetic. And so I just found that fascinating that yeah. they actually found what appears to be evidence for this actual event. And, and this site is preserved with a big old fence. It's a whole other podcast, but there's a bunch of discoveries leading to this. And I, I had to mention it because it's yeah. so cool. Well, I've heard that debate as well, and I, I totally agree with you about the location of Mount Sinai. Right on, dude, because we would have to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing. Stop the recording right now. <laughs> Let's go outside. New episode. <laughs> no. Ding, ding, ding. I, I no. definitely wanted to mention that. <laughs> yeah. But, but back to the story. The structure of this whole event, of this um, ratifying of this covenant, um, at the very first, when God called Moses, the priests, and elders to receive the covenant, we see some prophetic symbology right off the bat. Um, a- after Moses dies, much later in the timeline, we see that the high priest is the only human that is allowed nearest to God. But in this scene, the high priest is left behind as Moses feels that role of intercessor. And the thing to see in that that's cool is that Moses is, is kind of a type of Jesus, mm. which is just mind-blowing to think of, because like we mentioned... Um, this scene, the type of Christ is eating and drinking with the pre-incarnate actual Christ in one sitting. Yeah. So it's like the Alpha and the Omega, right? You know, that's totally out of context. But you know what I mean? It's just, it's amazing to think about that. Because uh, in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, Moses tells the people, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your countrymen, you shall listen to him. And in Acts 3.22, we see that that verse is referring to Jesus. So it's just, it, that's something that really stood out to me. 
And um, when Moses died, the high priest took that closest position to God. And then when Jesus came, he took that position, which now allows us direct mediator to the Father on an individual and collective level. So, so cool. So cool. Yeah. And then the second thing um, that I'd like to extract from that whole scene is the whole the whole event in Exodus 24 is just like a proposal in a marriage ceremony mm-hmm. between God and his people. Um, Moses presents the covenant or proposal, if you will, to the people. The people say yes. Then preparations are made for the ceremony and the covenant is put into written form like a marriage certificate. And then the actual ceremony is performed. And after the ceremony, they were able to approach God directly and eat and drink with him. And it's just a staggering concept, but it shows just how close God desires to be to us. And I think it's very comforting to know that he's that kind of God. Yeah. No, for sure. And I just want to make sure that people understand why we call this a Christophany, because when you talk about God, no mortal man, we can't, we can't be in God's presence. Yeah. The only way we could be near Jesus is because he was veiled in flesh. His glory mm-hmm. was veiled in flesh. And so that's why we feel like this is a Christophany. Yes. And I mean, Jesus is the form of which God communicates directly with us. Exactly. And, and now in a whole other way. Yeah. But, but even from, it's so cool because even from the beginning, Jesus was there. Mm-hmm. And that's who they were meeting with. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, and some people don't think Jesus like came into the picture until, you know, the New Testament. Hornswogglers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't believe a word of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, even it talks about in Ephesians, through all things were created and by yeah. him all things were made. So Yeah, exactly. No, that, that fits perfect. Just the whole concept. Yeah. And, and another thing to see in all this, um, now that Israel is officially married to their God, they're officially his people, um, they should be faithful to him because that's what you do in a marriage. <laughs> and a direct visual of faithfulness would be obedience to the covenant that was agreed upon. Which now brings us to a terrible event that occurred because of the carelessness of Nadab and Abihu. Yeah, and I just, you made me laugh because, I mean, I started to think of like God put a ring on it, but then they tried to make something of gold, you know, in the meantime. Because I was thinking leading up to that, Moses goes on in the mountain to receive all these instructions because he's going to receive the instruction for uh, how to build the tabernacle. Exactly. He's going to receive instructions for how to consecrate the priests, which is something we'll get into here in just a second. And yet during this time, he's gone for 40 days. The children of Israel are freaking out going, he took Joshua with him yeah. and he gone, man. So that, and that's a great, I, I didn't even have that in my notes, but what a fantastic point because I mean, you, you see scriptures that talk about the hard headedness and the stubbornness of this people mm-hmm. and, and think about what happened there. That's like cheating on the honeymoon. Yes. I mean, that is insane. Well, that's exactly what it says. Is it says, the man Moses who brought us out here is gone. Yeah. Now make us a new God to continue to lead us. And I will say there is one um, scholar that I've read that says, and I, I don't know where I stand on this, but he does say that from what he reads, um, the people were wanting an idol not to worship as another God, but one to represent the one that brought them out. Mm. And I... That kind of makes sense to me because they were used to seeing idols and stuff and they wanted something tangible to represent. But God made it clear that he's not to be represented by idols. Yeah. So yeah, either way, they were being disobedient and unfaithful by doing that. Yeah. And I love how Aaron's like, well, give me all your gold. He's and like, well, bring thus the gold. <laughs> yeah. Then. And they throw it in and they keep, and when Moses comes down and he 
breaks the the Ten Commandments, and Aaron goes, "I don't know. I put all this gold in, and this calf came out." <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Um, and you know what? <laughs> Think about the boys watching their father act mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, allowing the idolatry, uh, and, and then blaming it on this calf just came out bull. Yeah. No pun intended, but but seriously, and, and I can only imagine the look on Moses' face when he's like, "You know how long that hike took me?" Yes. <laughs> like, and then just how heavy these things yeah, are. The tablets. You've the, got to be kidding yeah, me. Yeah. Well, and then God's even like, "Okay, well, come over here and let's let's get this destruction over with. I'll I'll raise up a new nation." And I knew this was going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> and he did. Yeah, and, and Moses very faithfully says, "No, God." Yeah keep them alive and if if they need to be saved and yet me be cursed then i'll take the curse and all that which again isn't another uh sign of jesus yes it is i mean the sacrificial nature of that all it really is and so yeah i mean i put in here a question that i'm going to ask you later okay about aaron because man what a flub right here seriously just what a foolish thing to have done and then the cover-up that and I'm maybe I shouldn't call him foolish, but it it was it was a foolish thing. It it seemed foolhardy yeah. for sure. Yeah, and the whole thing about it is God's holiness, and and we'll get into this, I believe, as we talk more and more about it. But the the reason that we have to revere God so much is because He is holy, and it's it's His goodness and His presence, and it's great, but it's also dangerous when we don't honor it the right way Absolutely. it's it's like fire fire is perfect but if you put it in a place where it's not supposed to be mm-hmm. it's terrible it becomes I mean, strange yeah it? well <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness oh i see what you did there okay all right so i'm gonna leap forward to leviticus 8 if that's okay yeah do it okay Take us there so put the gloves on yeah okay <laughs> um this whole chapter, we're not going to read it necessarily, but right here, uh, this is now the consecration and ordination of Aaron and his sons. And we see right away that if you were to put it in little sections, they are immediately washed in water. Mm-hmm. And then they're robed in righteousness. They put the turban on and they put the, the gold plaque on it. And then they're anointed with oil and then they're covered by the blood. And I just thought that was so interesting because it's significant of what we see even in our lives in modern times. We get baptized. We put on Christ. And it's not necessarily in this order, but we put on Christ. Of course, that's first. And and Jesus washes us in the water of his word. And then the Holy Spirit covers us. That's that oil of the Holy Spirit falling upon us. And then we're covered by Jesus's blood. Mm-hmm. And all of these things are taking place as they are consecrating the priests and setting them aside for the duties and the tasks as unto the Lord. Yeah, I find it fascinating. I think I think God set the order like that, and it's it's just a beautiful thing to see it get played out. You can't make this stuff up. No, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has He has His system that has just grown into what we see now. Yeah, and the spiritual significance of one act into the the new testament um principle of it yes absolutely yeah and i i love the taking the blood and going and rubbing it on the earlobe of the high priest's right ear and then his right thumb and then his right big toe and i've always just it's one of those verses that i keep coming back to and meditating on because it's it's talking about what he's going to hear 
yeah. and what he's going to think about and, and be exposed to as a high priest. And then his thumb is his works and what he's going to put his hands to do. And of course, they didn't do it to the left hand because the left hand was considered like the hand of dishonor. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, the right toe was like, where is he going to direct his steps? Where is he going to go? Yeah. And they they did that first for Aaron, and then of course they do it for Nadab and Abihu next. And the symbology is amazing. Yeah, really cool. Okay, so it's really interesting that you mentioned the marriage aspect of it, because right here now you almost have like a honeymoon ceremony, because as they consecrate Aaron and his sons, now they actually spend seven days in the tabernacle. Oh well. Wow. And God tells them not to leave. Yeah. He says, this is where you're supposed to be. This is the honeymoon uh, period. This is where you've been anointed. And he actually says, you must stay at the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and do what the Lord requires. So you will not die for this is what I have commanded. And then I love the obedience in chapter eight and it says, so Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. And that leads right into chapter nine. And that is basically the fulfillment of everything that Aaron's just learned. And it's so neat that he just, they, they take this chapter of scripture and they lay out uh, in great detail everything that he does as he makes these sacrifices. And one of my favorite verses is at the end, the culmination of it, it says in chapter nine, verse 22, then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came down from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted for joy, and they fell on their faces in worship. The priests were consecrated, the tabernacle was blessed, the glory of the Lord appeared, and then fire fell. And everybody is so amped up to see the Lord moving in this way because this is again the culmination of yeah. this this place where they're gonna be able to worship God and where their sins are gonna be able to be atoned for. Yeah. This this is where their God becomes personal. Yeah. He shows up, I mean in a very real visual way. Yes. And this is what starts the movement of God's people. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And the glory of God had already kind of been around them, like leading them. Yes. But now it's like here. The presence of the Lord is going to remain in that Holy of Holies with them. Exactly. Yeah. What what a thing to yeah. behold. Yeah. And, and crazy thing is it's such a high high, which leads us to... Yeah. It leads us to... <laughs> The phrase strange fire, <laughs> which it's become a title of controversy over the years. I'm, I'm sure we're fixing to get into that. But um, it, it's what happened with Nadab and Abihu. Uh, the main scripture that tells us what happened is Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Um, it's, it's also mentioned in Numbers 3, 4, Numbers 26, 61, and 1 Chronicles 24, 2. But these are... Um, these are kind of passing mentions in genealogies. And the sad thing is the author stops in the middle of the genealogy and says, by the way, these are the guys that offered strange fire and died for it. Mm. And then it continues on. So these guys, because of what is fixing to happen here for the rest of their lives, they're, they're labeled as this is not who you want to be. This is not what you want to do. No, it's not how you want to act. They have an asterisk. Yes. <laughs> a huge one. Major. Yeah. And, um, I, I've got Leviticus 10, one and two here. You want me to just go ahead and read it, Josh? Read it, please. Okay. 
Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. What happened there, Josh? So many things. (laughs) (laughs) Or a combination of so many things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, can I say something that's kind of funny before um, we get to the serious part of this? Yeah. Because it's never fun to talk about somebody dying by God's hand. Absolutely not. But the joke that one commentator noticed is that their ordination ceremony was longer than their ministry. (laughs) Oh, wow. I I hadn't even thought about it that way. I didn't think about it either, but like they were priests, you know, for only a few, I don't know, hours, but their, their ordination was at least seven days. Yeah, it is. And, and he, I wanted to say, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, okay. And that's why you leave a note. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> no, we often see instances in Scripture where it feels very unfair. Um, I, I think of Second Samuel 6, where God struck Uzzah dead for trying to keep the Ark of the Covenant from falling. And sometimes I'll even think, wow, that seems harsh. Mm-hmm. I mean, but when we consider the whole picture, we understand the reverence of who God is, then we're going to start to see just how serious we should be about how we approach him. Yeah, which makes us go on and read Leviticus 10.3, which says, And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. And... um you know, as we talk about profane fire and uh, God basically judging them for doing something that he had not commanded them, I thought we should go into maybe some speculative reasons on why he poured out his judgment on Nadab and Abihu. Was it just one or was it a combo of things? What did they do wrong? One commentator I read, he said, here's the answer. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> they just they just botched the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So I found a few different um, reasons that the Lord would have judged them. I didn't know if maybe you had a few that we could kind of go back and forth on. Yeah, I, I mean, I do. It's, it's kind of in relation to what Strange Fire is. So why don't you go ahead and lay out the ones you found? Okay, okay. So I found a couple different things for Strange Fire, and I, I wanted to save the cultural one for maybe towards the end, but I found Profane Fire. And, and this is one of the things is that they physically pulled fire from a different source than the one before the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so there was that, there was that, um, that. There was a disobedience in that. Yeah. Because it's not where they should have pulled it. Yeah, and there's a lampstand that's supposed to be burning no matter what. Yeah, and, that, and that's the miraculous one that was lit. Yes, exactly. And yeah. so what if they brought fire from a different source? And think about the the uh, symbology of that. Yes. There's only one source. Yes. Only one way. Yeah, because that's exactly right. That fire, if they brought it from a different source, was not associated with the atoning and redeeming work of sacrifice. Exactly. And so, because like you said, that fire was kindled by God himself, not of our own making, which is why strange fire is such a relevant topic when we get into it. Yeah. Um, but Leviticus 16.12, talking about the high priest, it says, He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. 
Mm-hmm. So that's one possibility. Another possibility is maybe they had misuse of the special incense uh, because Exodus 39 and 10 says, do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering and do not pour a drink offering on it. Once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is most holy to the Lord. And then Exodus 30 verses um, 35 and 37 says, You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy, but you shall not make any for yourselves. It shall be holy for the Lord. God said, this is my special thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody else should be able to do it. It's it's my formula. Yes. And what if they brought a, a separate type of incense to burn before God and not regulated, it not commanded? It speaks to following the instruction and order of instructions exactly. that he laid out yes. in the order. Yeah. And then here's another um, speculative reason is the quote before the Lord. It's completely possible that they actually went behind the veil into the Holy of Holies willy nilly. Wow. Yeah. Because, I mean, imagine they were just like, we're priests, we're PKs, y'all. Boom, baby. We got this thing down. (laughs) And they just ran in there because then again, um, later on in, uh, in Leviticus 16, it says, now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire or strange fire before the Lord and they died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark lest he die for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat so it was at an appointed time yeah so so far you've got it could be the wrong source of the fire maybe yeah. they didn't burn the right incense um, and then they came before the Lord maybe they weren't supposed to and then you have another one where it was unworthy or maybe a flippant manner um, because uh, it says, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. Yeah. So it's not just my There's show. There's a lot yeah. of things that could have gone wrong. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I think of too, on top of the disobeying the order that God laid it out in is, is and you kind of mentioned it, a heart issue mm-hmm. of not, not being serious about it. I think of that offering between... Cain and Abel mm-hmm. to the Lord. Yeah. Why was one better Accepted than the other? One it was the heart. And so like like you first said, everything. Yes. The order, the heart, the yeah. the carelessness of it, the just yeah. Yeah. And here's another one. They might have actually been intoxicated. Oh wow. Which I mean, I've heard that taught a few different times. Because God he does there the scripture does reiterate after this event, after Moses says um, and I like the the way the New Living Translation puts the Leviticus ten three. It says this Moses told Aaron after this happened because he's sitting there struck. His two sons had just died, mm-hmm. and Moses looks at him. He's like, "This is what." And this is the actual Bible verse. This is what the Lord meant when He said, "I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people." And Aaron was silent. Yeah. And so he he's like, "I understand. You know, this is this is what happens when mm-hmm. you do it outside of His order." Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a sad event. Yeah, because like you said, um, later on in that same chapter in verse eight, 
the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. And this is a lasting ordinance. Uh, you finished my thought. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I forgot it. Okay. <laughs> That's where I was going. And I, I just said, oh, it's a tragic thing. Oh, no. I was like, I was like, I like the New Living Translation of verse three. <laughs> okay. That, uh, that was a brain fart on oh, my Oh, no. End. That's funny. Okay. okay. That's the whole reason I went off on that is to oh, say that. Yeah. So, so well, um, are you drunk? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm not. Uh, it seems like I am, though. Uh, other other reasons could have been pride, ambition, jealousy, impatience. Here's one way that somebody put it is they were the wrong people because it was the high priest task. It was the wrong incense. It was supposed to only be the high priest incense burner, not theirs, which it said they brought their own. I yeah. brought... <laughs> <laughs> what, what is that? B-Y-O-I? Yeah. Bring your own incense? B-Y-O-I-B? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring your own incense burner? Yeah, nice. uh, The wrong time, because it was only supposed to be on the Day of Atonement. The wrong authority. They didn't follow the instructions of Moses or Aaron or the Word of God. Wrong fire they brought their own wrong motive because it might have been a willful act of pride and then the wrong energy because they were possibly drunk so what was wrong with what they did everything, everything. yeah <laughs> jinx yeah no but seriously it's a, it, it, there's so much that went wrong yes and it's a serious thing to be a servant of God and our service must be empowered by his spirit, but also controlled by his word. We must serve God as Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, acceptably with reverence and godly fear, because we know that our God is a consuming fire. Yeah. You know, and I think of as we get into, if it's okay, strange fire now, mm -hmm. I think of that first part of what I just said, that our service must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, the secondary part is important as well, because it's also controlled by his word. And I feel like that's where um, a lot of times that's where we find the strange fire is because a lot of things are attributed to the Holy Spirit doing them, mm -hmm. but maybe not referencing back to, to the control of the word and the, the actual stipulations that God gives for our worship and the way that we're supposed to move forward and walk in him. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it looks like we, we're just heading into these realms now of this, this debate of strange fire. I know I've got laid out what I believe strange fire is, um, and I, I lay it out that way. Josh, do you want to bring the opposing thoughts on this first and then and then get into it? How do you want to go about this? I think you should go first, and then I'll kind of play off of what you okay. say. Okay, all right. So, um, and, and we kind of touched on this earlier, but to hear it from John Corson's mouth would just be better. Yes. So here it goes. Okay. Strange fire was fire that came from any source other than the altar, which burned continually and speaks of the place where the Lamb of God absorbed the fire of God's wrath that should have been poured out on you and me. The fire speaks of Calvary. And when I read that description of what strange fire was, I instantly felt God tugging on a recent discovery that I've personally made in scripture over the last year. And that is in relation to some of the scariest verses I've ever read in the Bible. Um, number one is 1 John 3, 4 through 9, then Hebrews 10, 26, Hebrews 6, 4, which some believe are verses that speak to a Christian losing their salvation. 
But I believe these verses are merely a consequence of what Paul describes in Romans chapter 7, where he describes this evil that he does not want to do, but he keeps on practicing it. And what all of these verses are speaking of is strange fire, I believe. The attempt to gain righteousness from any other source than Jesus. Mm. And we were talking about that, the, the symbology of them getting the fire from another source. Yeah. There's one way to heaven. There's one source. There's one. I mean, it just, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. No. And um, what Jesus did on that cross for us, that's what it represents. For Paul, it was, the strange fire was the urge to revert to the commandments of the law in order to become righteous by works, I believe. Mm. I believe that's what all those verses are speaking of. For Nadab and Abihu, it seems um, that it was trusting carelessly in their position of priest rather than the God who made them priest, which led them to acting in a careless way that, that killed them because of lack of reverence. For you and me, it could be anything that takes the place of what Jesus did for our eternal security. Whether that be a legacy that we're trying to build for people to remember us by, money, power, respect, being a better person than the next guy, whatever we put our ultimate trust in, in other than Jesus, that is strange fire for us. Mm. Offering it, because think about it, you, you, you come to God and you say, at the end of your life, you're like, God, this is what I offer to get in there. Mm -hmm. This is what, look what I did. Look, look at these homeless people I, I fed. Yeah. Look at, look at the good person I was. Look at how much those people back home remember me. This is my offering to get in. Mm. And what is he going to look and say to you? He's going to say, get away from me. I never yeah. knew you. And so to think of offering strange sacrifice, same, uh, strange fire to say, this is my admission ticket. That is strange fire in what I read. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense to me. Well, it feels like your works are these two little sticks that you're just rubbing together furiously going, I'm going to, you know, it's Tom yeah. Hanks. I have made fire, you know, yeah. and God's like, I already did it. Yeah. You, you took what was perfect and you, you, you did you a set trashy, out on your own. You did yeah. a trashy version of it and claimed it as something righteous. Yes. Oh, yeah. Man, but it, it is. It's it's. Anytime we try to do it, it's filthy rags. It's trash. Yeah, it Compared. amounts to nothing. Yeah. So that's that's what I take for for strange fire. And I have a little more on what John Corson uh, says on how to keep from falling into that. But um, Josh, why don't you take um, from here the other ideas of what strange fire is? Okay. So in this modern time. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but there's actually a uh, conference called the Strange Fire Conference, and it's put on by our good buddy, <laughs> John MacArthur. <laughs> and uh, I jokingly say good buddy because we've talked about him before. He has, yeah. uh, He's a great Bible teacher, and at times he's had some radical views, and, yeah. and a lot of times I'll agree with him. I have his commentary. I read him. I also at times disagree with him, and, and I mean, that's okay because that's what sometimes the body of Christ is, is that push and pull of going, Hey, I see eye to eye with you, but you know, we're going to agree to disagree on these other things. Yeah. And one of the things that he does is he, and he has a very hard stance on what he believes is biblical and extra biblical. And to the point of calling some of these things that we might see as works of God, 
uh, calling them demonic movements. Mm-hmm. And this is snakebird territory at its finest. Yes, it is. Because we have to be on our guard. Because if we're all snake, then we walk in the, the vein that John MacArthur does and say nothing is correct. Mm-hmm. But if we're all bird, then we say everything is legal and everything's right. Exactly. And that neither of those are correct. Mm-hmm. So you have to be a delicate balance of both because on one hand, he's calling out pastors who are slaying in the spirit, which I totally agree with. I don't think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the movement that, that they show this in, in the context that they show this in. But then on the other hand, he's criticizing um, some of the larger church groups that we know for maybe their their worship and the concert type settings that they have, which... I mean, you just have to view it through the Holy Spirit lens. You're so right. I mean, what he's doing is he's taking the stuff that is demonic and he's pairing it with things that make him uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and he's calling them all demonic. Yes. And that's, that's definitely not being a snake bird. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, I found this quote I thought was interesting. It says, and this is probably even leaning more towards John MacArthur's camp because honestly... As I started to review myself, I I do lean more towards that because I just think there's needs to be an air of caution. But I also don't agree with um, five well-dressed men, five well-spoken men on a stage questioning the salvation of hundreds of thousands of people. So yes. we have to be very careful. Yeah. Now, this is what um, one, one guy said. He said, the stunning lack of theological discernment and biblical illiteracy in the modern church sets entire congregations up to dishonor God by offering strange fire as they worship. We're quick to cite cultural context as we edit out clear biblical prohibitions. Doing this follows the way of Nadab and Abihu, who worshiped God according to their will and wisdom rather than according to his. Yeah. Now, if we come to a thing that God has commanded in Scripture and we say, well, culturally, that's not correct, and we just throw it out, then I think that is strange fire. Yeah. Well, and also something I think about, too, is is the mixing of of religious ideas into Christianity that I think that's a form of strange fire. Yeah. Um, getting it from another source, like we were talking about, yeah. um, people mixing these ideas of, um, I mean, I've heard of churches doing stuff called grave soaking Ooh. where they lay on graves and they think that they can absorb the holy, uh, holiness of the last saint or something just yeah. very, I mean, and then you have some of the more mild stuff like, you know, snake handling, which I, yeah, I personally do, not for religious reasons, but... <laughs> you actually raise snakes, so that makes sense. They're not supposed to know that. Okay. But I mean, okay, so you have out there, and and some deserve the criticism that they're getting, like these the fringe nonsense, like laughing in the spirit, yeah. barking, um, mm-hmm. Like I said, slaying in the spirit. Yeah, you know the Benny Hens of the the twitching. Yeah, um, chanting, repeating, like almost what the Bible would said, like the pagans do. Yeah, yeah. Um, on their high places. Yeah. you know. Yeah, John MacArthur. He he made the whole bunch of people laugh in this, where he said, "We have those seven eleven choruses. It's seven word choruses that are repeated eleven times." You know, yeah, and, I've heard that. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a regurgitated statement. Exactly, I've heard so yeah. many times. And, and again. 
it comes back to the heart because you don't know the heart of somebody that you're judging yeah. or we don't know. And, and he doesn't know. And, yeah. and my whole thing is like, we just have to be really careful on saying who's in the kingdom. Because I remember that scripture that Jesus said, you know, where the disciples came and they said, Hey, we saw those people that we don't know talking about you and, and, uh, we're going to go shut them down. Yeah. And Jesus was like, why they're doing my work. You know, just because you don't know them, you know, and so we just... Jesus apparently did. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think, too, sometimes rather than questioning if somebody's saved or not, why don't you just pull a Paul and Barnabas and say, you know what, we'll let God sort this out. I'm going to stay away from them. Yeah. Because I don't believe... If you have a hunch... I remember um, Pastor Skip Heitzig once told a story about a guy needed a place to sleep one night, and he came in this rainstorm, needed a place to sleep. He had a hunch in the spirit, don't let him in. He didn't let him in. And that guy turned away and went in the rains like some Christian you are. He found out that guy had been doing that to multiple churches and robbing people. Uh-huh. If you get a hunch in the spirit, someone's not right, their activities aren't right, just say no. Stay yeah. away from them. Don't say you're not saved. No. So, yeah, that's just, when you start saying you're saved, you're not, hey, uh, you're not God. No. So that's, man, yeah, you can tell by the tone of our voices, yeah. this is touchy because is. you can't go all snake or all bird on this. No. You've got to use some wisdom. Yeah. And, and to have no grace on someone is dangerous. And then to have, of course, just cheap grace on everyone is extremely dangerous as well. Yeah. You know, but to pigeonhole somebody. And I love what scripture says. Scripture says that all things are to be done decently and in order. And a lot of these things you can filter out through scripture. Yes. You know, um, the, the churches that require people to speak in tongues to the point where they're saying, well, just ramble until it comes to you naturally. Yeah. That's freaky. Yeah. That's not righteous. You know? Yeah. And, and we don't want to step on anyone's toes here. So if you're listening and you're like, well, I don't know, or you just called me fringe. Well, you know, well, listen, we, we all are acting in accordance to what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. And if we need to change some things and how we're acting, what we're doing, God will let us know. Yeah. Um, and you also already know if you're already doing something you're not supposed yeah. to. Well, and I love that this topic even comes maybe to what we just spoke about, about biblical confrontation. Yeah. Because if you see a brother walking in sin, even the sin of strange fire, yes. then confront them. Yeah. You know, do it biblically, do it righteously. Yeah. And if they have a, a seared conscience, <laughs> help them out with that. Yeah, because that's another episode that's just a few weeks back yeah, as maybe well. Maybe they don't realize they're doing the strange fire thing. Maybe yeah. That, maybe those nerve endings have been burned, like you said, Josh. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's something that you gotta, you gotta balance with wisdom and um, it, that's the only way to do it. It is. It is. So... I really do appreciate what you said about it because it, it strange fire to me, just like yeah. it was representative to the, to the children of Israel and what God intended to represent yeah. is anything that isn't from him. Exactly. And you know, I'm 100%, uh, maybe obviously God can show us as we grow in him, but I'm a hundred percent a believer in that, that strange fire is, um, attempting to pull from another source to gain your admission ticket. Yeah. And uh, I believe that, that for me, that is such a blessing to understand that because like I said, I've struggled for so many years with, with those verses like 1 John 3, 4, uh, 4 through 9, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 6, and all of that, all of that points to strange fire, Romans 7, all of it. Yeah. Uh, trying to get it from another source. So so just to kind of end this this 
portion of the topic, John Corson writes this, How can one keep from the Nadab and Abihu mentality? The simplest way is to go to the altar over and over and over again. Go to the Lord's table over and over again and remember what Christ Jesus did for us. When we bow our knee and commune with the Lord, when we handle His broken body and drink of His shed blood, all the dials are set back to zero as we remember the price He paid for us. And I believe that's the hardest part. That was in quote, by the way. <laughs> I believe I'm not going to put words in John Corson's mouth. Yeah. Uh, but that's the hardest part for us humans sometimes. We like to have a hand in what we have. We like to say, because I work so hard, that's why God let me in. But if we trust in any other work of our own, then we're offering strange fire. Um, will you see works? If we're true believers, they'll be there. But they're not what represents the ticket to heaven. Only Jesus represents that. Yeah. That's completely true. And anything else is bad doctrine. Yes. Yeah. So, well, I wanted to ask, because we came to Aaron in the golden calf earlier, and I just thought, you know, if anyone deserved to die for misrepresenting God in that capacity, it was Aaron. Right. And then I thought, well, it seems strange that God killed Nadab and Abihu instead of merely warning them. But what I found is that often at the beginning of a new era of salvation or a new era of ministry, the Lord would bring judgment in order to warn the people. And this priestly ministry at the tabernacle was just about to begin. And God wanted to make sure that the priests understood the seriousness of their work. And and starting to think about it, I can only imagine that later on for generations to come, those priests were like, picking up their incense lighters and going, don't, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. I, <laughs> I heard a story about these other guys, you know, you know, that is a fantastic point um, that you make there because it's, it's the, the beginning of a new thing. Like you said, and the point needs to be made. I think of Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, right here, I've got that in here. I wanted to say this now. I thought this was interesting and this is a, uh, I wish I had like some sirens right here because this is a snake bird alert asking if this is true. Cause this sent me down the rabbit hole. Um, because you've heard the story about the, uh, that the priests would wear bells on their robes yes, and that they would have an, a rope tied to their ankle in, in case they killed out. Yeah. Okay, I've always heard that. I've heard it taught from pulpits. I've heard it in many different Christian circles. Yes. I started researching it. I couldn't find an area where it said other than just Jewish kind of like establishment. Wow. Yeah. That's was, wild. Yeah. Like um, a reference to the rope being attached to the ankle or leg of a priest has not been found in the Bible, not by Josephus or Philo or the Apocrypha or the Pseudopiographa <laughs> or in the writings of the church fathers. But our Jewish friends state that this was an ancient practice. Here is a quote from a Jewish rabbi. According to the account of our rabbis preserved in the Talmud, the high priest wore a rope around his waist as he made his way, absolutely alone in the Holy of Holies. The rope he wore served a very practical purpose because in the event that the high priest said or did something wrong, it was generally believed that he would be struck dead for his offense. Yes, right then and there. As only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, the rope enabled his assistants to safely pull the corpse of the high priest out of the inner sanctum in the event of a mishap. It would appear that the rope tied to the ankle has its origins in Jewish literature. So essentially, having said all that, yeah. 
there are no records, biblical or otherwise, of a high priest being struck dead by the Lord and having his body dragged out of the holy place with a rope attached so to it. So there's no record of him dying or there's no record of them doing those practices? There's no record of him dying. Okay. So I had always been like, well, there is a lot of death associated with priestly ministry. Yeah. God, God got the point across. Yeah. It didn't happen yeah, again. Yeah. And because I started to think like, okay, so Annas as the high priest, he had to be covered and atoned for as he went into to um on the day of atonement yeah and we know that he was pretty corrupt so i just thought that was interesting that there's a possibility that no high priest had actually died after that point. yeah you know it's kind yeah. of a snopes moment and i thought yeah. it was a snakebird moment because this is one thing that we want to do is we don't want to take anything that we hear carte blanche and just go oh that's the truth absolutely you know we want to make sure that we research it for ourselves and and i bet i could spend another you know 10 days of just deep diving research on whether that's true or not. I just, um, the sources that I found couldn't recite anybody saying, Hey, a priest specifically died from this. And there was another guy who was challenging the whole bells thing because there was a bell on the priestly tunic. But the day that they went into the Holy of Holies, they were actually to change into linen garbs, which means that they wouldn't even have been wearing the bells. Okay. So that is snake birdie because you want to, you want to make sure you're pushing accurate information. Yeah. And there's been times that I've come across the same type of deal. Where I get frustrated with myself because I'm like, I've been saying that forever. Yeah. And I never I think, checked it. Yeah. yeah. That, you know what? That's funny because that segues perfectly into a piece of application that I found, um, which is don't assume because someone has a title that they're trustworthy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that it really, it's, it stuck out to me because yeah. um, one of the things that caught my eye was um, the fact that Nadab and Abihu were, they were looked up to by the people because of their position. Um, the priest was supposed to be trustworthy. God's people were supposed to be able to come to the religious leaders for counsel, understanding, and believe the things they pushed. And um, that's why in Matthew 5.20, when Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the people were like, well, how could we ever do that? They're the most righteous. They're the closest to God. And Jesus was showing them that while some people hold a title of high honor, Um, they're not who we put our trust in. We should respect positions of authority, even as Paul says in Romans 13, but our lifeline of righteousness and guidance comes from God himself through Jesus. Um, You may have heard us say before, be Bereans. Well, that goes along in line with that because, I mean, it's simply knowing God's word for yourself so that you can filter what anyone says through God's word. Even listening to this podcast right now, Mm. things that, like Josh said, we hear it and we even we could push things sometimes that are not right. Be a Berean. Know God's word for yourself. So that just fit with a piece of application that I saw, too. No, for sure. And, And one of the last things that I wanted to say is in terms of Nadab and Abihu basically dying, because they misrepresented God, there are consequences for our actions with God or more specifically misrepresenting God or his plan to the people. And um, a couple of those instances are like Moses. When God first told him, hey, the children of Israel are thirsty and Moses goes out and he strikes the rock the first time, that's what God intended because he wanted it to be a picture of Jesus. But then he told Moses the second time, he said, go and speak to the rock because the... 
the striking was already done. Jesus died once and for all. And so Moses goes out and I love that he says, you rebels. And he gets all mad and he's like, must we provide water for you? And he's like, he's like God and I, and I feel like it's like this little tiny ant with like a giant, uh, you know, human behind him. And he strikes the rock and, and water comes out because God's faithful. But next thing you know, God's like, Hey, can we, can we have a staff meeting real quick? Yeah. And he calls him aside to his office and he goes, um, you didn't represent me right. Yeah. And the next thing you know, he tells Moses, he's not going to be able to, he's going to be able to see the promised land, but he's not going to be able to enter it. And then like you mentioned, um, Uzzah touching the Ark of the Covenant because they didn't move it right, which means he misrepresented the people because he wasn't supposed to come in contact with it. Another example of that, like you just mentioned, was Ananias and Sapphira, Mm -hmm. where God was establishing the early church in the New Testament. And he was like, hey, I don't want any shenanigans. And right out of the gate, they blatantly lied to God. And then the last one that I saw in the Bible, as we are Bereans, was um, Achan. In not Aiken for some bacon, but <laughs> sorry, his name rhymes so so much with that. Um, in Joshua chapter seven, when God was establishing for the children of Israel, even like a tithing principle yeah. with the city of Jericho, God said, "Listen, you're going to be taking this new land, the 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 land of Canaan that I'm giving to you." He said, "Consider Jericho as my as mine, yeah. the first fruits. Give all of that to me, and then everything after that you can have." And Joshua agreed, but then they went into Jericho and and they defeated them and the walls came tumbling down and it's such a neat deal. Yeah. Um, basically, they sang them to death, you know, or they blasted them to death with trumpets. And yet they came to Ai, which should have been an easy win, and they got defeated. And Joshua found out that it was because Achan had taken some of what was supposed to be God's. Mm-hmm. And so we're not really supposed to misrepresent God and he deals usually pretty direct with it. Can I ask you a question? Sure. So as you were laying all that out, it just, I don't have any of this in my notes, but it made me think. So when Moses misrepresented God by doing what he did and the consequence of him not going into the promised land, was that speaking of him being saved or his work being burned up? Because the first thing I thought of was 1 Corinthians 3, starting verse 12. It says, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will be, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Does that speak of that type of thing? Of of he misrepresented God, but he's still going to get saved, but what he did, the work is burned up? I think to a degree. I mean, he was so frustrated with not being able to enter the promised land. Yeah. I mean... Which would have been almost bragging rights of these works survived the fire. Yeah. But he didn't get to experience that. Yeah. So I don't know. That just made me think of that. Is that is that a modern day of somebody who might misrepresent God, but still believes in Jesus and is still saved? Possibly. I don't know. I don't know. I just completely came to me and and my my theological spidey senses kind (laughs) of. Yeah. But that, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's incredibly heartbreaking to know all that Moses went through and to read, again, Exodus, Leviticus, 
um, Numbers and Deuteronomy and see all that Moses was responsible for. Yes. And then not to see him kind of taste the sweetness of him obeying God because of his disobedience. And, yeah. and getting to Mount Nebo, I think, is where he got to see the promised land and then God took him. What a thing. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Wow, that's that's crazy. I know that we will cover that scripture soon when we talk about heaven and and yes. what our reward is going to be. So yeah, true. We'll get. Into I had that. to ask. It just yeah. it came yeah. up on me. Yeah. Because um, I we know I'm pretty sure we know that Moses is in heaven. Oh, the whole Bible, the Bible yeah. talks about him as being yeah. righteous. So yeah, but he he missed out on 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 his work right there that that portion that portion that portion was burned up yes i mean yeah. that right there was considered just premium straw it was gonna yeah. burn went up black wildfire but there's things that i do every day that it's man it's straw exactly it's, it's me wood too. hay and stubble oh, man me too yeah so no kidding well so you know the last the last real scene that we see with nadab and abihu aside from the times they're referenced in what not to do in scripture um <laughs> this got dark because you're talking about now their corpses <laughs> yeah i know right <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but basically after after they've died and he tells aaron you know it is what it is this is what god says uh, moses instructs some relatives of nadab and abihu to carry them outside of the camp and uh, Moses instructs Aaron and the two remaining sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, not to uncover their heads or tear their clothes, which was the cultural sign of mourning, um, or else they would die. Yeah. I mean, it's not only did you just lose them, don't cry about it. Don't you mourn them. Because what they did represented completely, it's not something to be mourned over. It'd be another misrepresentation. Exactly. Yeah. And... They um, After this event where they had to sadly let go of Nadab and Abihu without the custom closure, um, God speaks directly to Aaron about going forward as high priest and remaining uh, and the remaining sons who were now to take the place of their brothers. And um, Josh mentioned it earlier, but God makes sure to tell them, don't drink wine or strong drink when entering the tent of meeting. Uh, maybe that's because they were drunk when they did it. Maybe. Could have, that's the yeah. point you were making, possibly. Yeah. Um, but it's made clear that this holy position of theirs is to be treated as holy. So that's that's about it in a nutshell uh, for these guys. As, as far as I studied anyway, Josh, unless you got anything else, I've got some takeaway points. No, I just have some takeaways as well. So All right. If you're comfortable, I say kick us off. All right. So um, if, if it's not obvious enough, um, God is to be treated as holy. Yes. That's, that's my number one. Um, sometimes I'll see things in a meme or on a T-shirt that says stuff like, uh, Jesus is my homeboy or, or things like that. And I'm really not too judgmental on that stuff, but I do often think about the modern reverence of God. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people talk about God as if he's one more badge of pride that they have collected on their scout vest. Um, like I've got my patriotism here, my bragging rights over there, my social appearance over here, my politics over yonder, and God has his place right over by that. And I will wonder, do people realize that God is not on par with any other thing. He's not on par with any of it. God is so much more powerful and should be put in so much more reverence than all other things in our lives. And I honestly wonder how many will grieve the fact when Jesus returns that they didn't treat God with the holiness that he deserved. Mm. So that was the number one um, thing that I saw 
in in scripture you want me to hit the second one too josh well let me pick up on that real quick because i agree and because i started to hear as you were talking and the award goes to blah 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 and then the first thing they say is i want to thank god and then i want to you know yeah and it it just degrades from there and you're like okay i appreciate you acknowledging god but is he everything great point because if he's not everything then he's not the right thing exactly you know don't waste your time trying to follow any rules yeah yeah exactly (laughs) yeah and um we don't take ourselves too seriously but we have to take god seriously yes um that's that's number one you know and that's why jesus is my homeboy can be frustrating it yeah. It can be dangerous because you're like, how do you revere this holy God? Yes. You know, because I go back to like viewing God as like the ocean. It's something that's majestic and wonderful and powerful, but it also deserves our fear mm-hmm. because you mess with it and it will eat you up. It yeah. will swallow you or or the weather or whatever you might um, call it because yeah. it's worthy of that reverence. Amen. So true. And he is worthy of our reverence. Yeah, that would be the number one. I, I imagine for me and Josh on that, yeah, if God yeah, is, yes. he's to be treated yes. as holy. Uh, number two for me um, that I saw is learning from the mistakes of others. Uh, growing up, I was always the type that had to learn lessons the hard way. Regardless of what I saw happen to others, I wanted to see if I could get a different result doing the same thing that they did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That was just me. But as I've gotten older, I've seen great wisdom um, in, in learning and growing as I observe the results of other people's actions, and I can't help but to think of Eleazar in this story, who ended up becoming priest after Nadab and Abihu died, and then succeeded um, Aaron as the second high priest after that. Because if we we'll remember Eleazar, he would have seen a lot of foolish decisions made by his family. Aaron, with the whole golden calf thing, and then the whole trying to get out of it with a oh, calf just came out. I didn't have any part of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just seeing his dad do that, act that way. And then the, the whole scene with the strange fire, um, Eliezer had a lot of examples of what not to do as he grew up. And I really think that he grew in that wisdom because he went on to be a very noteworthy priest and then high priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, he assisted Moses and Aaron while he was priest during an uprising within the tribe of Levites, trying to undermine uh, the priestly family of Aaron, which was chosen by God. And then he also assisted Joshua during the conquest of Canaan and was the high priest who cast sacred lots, determining where each tribe would settle in the land. I mean, he was a very noteworthy high priest that I, I don't believe we saw anything as, as foolish as his father and brothers did. Yeah. And so I, I that was um, that's one thing that I really appreciated about Eleazar is the fact that he learned from the mistakes of his father and brothers, or so he seemed to. It's no mistake that his name rhymes with rock star. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I just thought of that. It's almost as good as covered in hair. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, get us started. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm really appreciative because I almost feel like the Bible leaves the reason for Nadab and Abihu's death ambiguous is so that we're mindful of all the possible pitfalls in our worship. Mm-hmm. as we draw near because like we said we there were various reasons that they could have been judged by God and what did they do wrong 
everything everything you know and so as we approach the lord we have to regard him as holy we have to be mindful and then you know of course if we're in ministry no drinking on the job oh yeah you know for sure i i I feel like it's kind of funny to mention it but that is a real application because ephesians 5 18 says do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the holy spirit and that is something that we have to ask is are we operating in the holy spirit because that's where true fire comes from Mm-hmm. If we're operating in any other spirit, we're actually operating with strange fire. And and that's what I want to ask is like, what's my motive? Am I operating with the holy fire that's been kindled by God? Or am I bringing something else? Because if I'm bringing something else, then just stop. I agree. Just stop and do a heart check because that's the, that's the easiest way to, to lose your path. And, yeah. and to be off the, you know, to, to have God say to you, I didn't know you. This is not of me. Yeah, those who shrink back. Yes. So that's that's another one of my takeaways. Yeah. There's a lot to pull from this story, even though there's not a lot said about these guys in particular. Man, we, there's so much application. Yeah. And, and I appreciate what you said about, like, don't just take somebody's word because they say, well, I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not just going to take somebody's word because they say that I'm a doctor because yeah. there's different types of doctors. You That's know? true. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I'm a doctor of what? It's like Dr. Feelgood or actual yeah. PhD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Dr. Pep. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Sorry. That's terrible. But, um, I, you know, I found this interesting is that. Aaron didn't die with the golden calf because he wasn't yet anointed or consecrated. Oh, wow. And in ministry, which we are all called to in some form or another, we are anointed for ministry. And that means we have a accountability. And so I just want to mention that at this point, we are accountable for what we know. Yeah. And, and I feel in that, that we need to operate with that accountability and you know, that means that we serve God in that capacity, knowing that um, the people that we reach out to, Jesus said, if you're leading somebody astray, leading one of these little ones astray, it's better to have a millstone um, attached to your neck and thrown into a deep ocean. Yeah, that's and that's so that's a great point you make, Josh, because we don't want anyone, any listener out there thinking, well, I'm not in the ministry. I can I can get away with more. Remember, we are priests now. Yes. Every single one of us who are true believers. First Peter two nine. We are now the priests. Yes. So that goes for every single one of us who believe in Jesus, who are true believers. Yeah. We're held accountable to that. Yeah, and I love it, Snakebirds, that as he's about to say a scripture, that's the one that's on my mouth. So <laughs> we've done that several times today, which is awesome. Yeah. And I think I've done it, you know, where yeah. I've said something and you're like, yeah, I had that right here, you know, yeah. which is so cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great, great application, guys. And we hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you got as much out of it as we did. And uh, Josh, you got anything else you have to, to offer? Yeah, and you already said this because it's such a beautiful picture, but I, I know that even the ceremony and the covenant and everything that God had set up, what I realize and what the Old Testament realizes is that it all points to the need for a better system and a better priest. Yeah. Because while we were made clean or impure by so many things and thus separated from God in the Old Testament, 
once Jesus came, once and for all, he died as our perfect sacrifice. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah. And because of Jesus, where Nadab and Abihu might have run into the Holy of Holies and been judged because they entered the Holy of Holies, which the high priest was only to do one time a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Now, Hebrews 10.19 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. If we repent, he is faithful to forgive too, guys. Yes. If you're in a place right now where you might feel like you're on the path of Nadab and Abihu, I hope that you really took in that scripture Josh just read because God welcomes you. He wants the wanderer to come home. Yeah. You're the prodigal. And there's instant access. Yeah. Unlimited instant access. Yeah. So true. Man, yeah. that, that tugs on your heartstrings because you, you when you realize the gravity of the, the reality of that, uh, what a great God we have. Yeah. And it, it really does break my heart because... Of their rejection of Jesus, the Jews haven't received that access. And that's why they're getting ready for this third temple to be built. Yeah. So they can start the sacrifices again to atone for their sin. Whereas they missed it, the Messiah has already come. So I just, you talk about the heartbreaking nature of it, of like seeing how much God has done for us and then seeing how much people are missing some of it. So true. So true. So that's Nadab and Abihu. <laughs> <laughs> what a story, right? Yeah, yeah. Not a ton of screen time or page time, as we say. But, man, they have a lot of application to their lives. They really do. And, and the, the things that came up in the story, so much, so much to learn from. Yeah. It's just wild. Yeah. We hope y'all enjoyed it. We really do. Yeah. And we might have to do another podcast just on Strange Fire at some we point might in have the future. To. We might have to. And let us know, guys, too, if we didn't get into certain aspects that that maybe you would have liked us to have, uh, reach out to us and, and let us know. Or if you want us to elaborate more on this or that or another topic even, please reach out to us. Josh, how can they reach us? They can reach us by sending us a message on Facebook, or you can directly contact us through email uh, through our website, and there's links there, or you can just send an email to connect at basnakebird.com. And if you are liking these profile segments, which I know Stephen and I greatly are, and you want to hear a Bible character be profiled, please send us that, and we will put them on the schedule uh, ASAP. That's right, guys. And remember, the whole reason this podcast exists is to effectively present the gospel to people in a modern way that people are dealing with modern issues. It's a snake bird realm. Um, remember, the days are drawing nigh, mm -hmm. and we've got to get this out to as many people who, who need to be saved as possible, all of us. So if, if you um, feel that this podcast is doing that well... Please go and review us and rate us. You don't know how that really pushes this podcast and the algorithms to more people. And that's our goal. It's the gospel. Yeah. So please do that. 
that if, if God's put that on your heart. And if you can share our links on Facebook, that would be fantastic, or share our page and just tell people about us. Maybe someone in your sphere of influence or your circle is saying, hey, I'm looking for some other way to grow. This might be an opportunity for them if they can uh, give us a listen or check us out. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Well, that's, that's today, and uh, we want to always sign off with this because we want you to remember whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. Only get your fire straight from God's altar and, and be a snake bird. bird.